0: hello everybody today we have a very special guest on our show she's the author of to my second love a speaker on topics such as reclaiming female sexuality and healthy intimacy and a trauma informed coach we have petra morani to help us discuss today's topic hello petra
1: hi eric hi lorianne hi everybody so happy to be here
0: We're so happy you're here, and the first thing that we want to do is talk about your book, To My Second Love. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what inspired you to write it and a little bit of what it is about?
1: I would absolutely love to. So first of all, To My Second Love is not actually about my second love or any second love in general. It's about what I call the second love archetype, um, which some people may have heard of. Um, But it's a philosophical concept that there are three love archetypes. And this one focuses on the second, which is the love of power plays and ups and downs. And it comes with a lot of life lessons. And I believe it catalyzes a massive growth and transformation journey in one's life. And the thing about the second love is it tends to repeat and repeat until you learn the lessons you're supposed to learn before you get to the third love, that really healthy, good love. But my book is about a little bit more than that. More importantly, my book talks about what I feel is a societal attack on healthy intimacy. Um, and what I feel is a lot of the darkness that the female collective specifically faces. Um, and it talks about a lot of that, that, that pain that women endure, And it explores things like unhealed trauma, trauma bonding, toxic relationships, uh, and all of that. But it's, it's for men as well, and it's also a call of help, I would say, um, for the masculine collective, when it comes to coming together and helping women.
0: And what caused you to write certain these pretty intense topics? Like, what inspired you?
1: I think what inspired me was just seeing the sheer amount of pain, pain around me, and the number of women that I know who have been assaulted, been violated, and men I think cannot even comprehend the sheer volume. Um, and of course my own experiences, experiences of people I love, some things I saw in my old professional career in the, um, before all came together, and I was just sick of seeing the pain, and I wanted to do what I could to make it stop, to help women heal, and to make people understand from a first-person perspective. A lot of men, they might have walls up at first, but when you read poetry and it's from an eye perspective, you feel it firsthand, and you feel empathy.
0: So let's talk about a little bit of this assault. And because I think we live in in times where sexual liberation is at its highest, people are encouraged to live out their sexual fantasies and um, be be openly sexual. And I think we're going to have to somewhat try to differentiate what makes it okay to be that way and what makes it not okay um, when when we start i guess crossing certain boundaries that maybe men or women are not knowing that they are doing
1: mm-hmm. that's a great question and and how you started off asking that too saying that we live in a society where sexuality is as most open as it can be as it's most free i actually believe and what i say is that's a misconception if that was the case. Now, in this day and age, we have more women than ever that are willingly choosing to be celibate. If our sexuality was so free and so empowered, why are so many women not having sex, choosing to, with men? I I tend to focus on heterosexual couples because a lot of these studies focus on heterosexual statistics. I can't speak for homosexual um, couples. But if that were the case, there wouldn't be so many lonely men. I think the New York Times just did an article about lonely men not dating. And there would not be so many women choosing to stay celibate. And the other thing I want to say is I think you're asking um, about sex positivity. Where is that line? Where do we draw the boundary? Um, Sex positivity, if you actually look at the definition, the idea of the whole movement is to normalize people talking about sex and to normalize sex as a natural way of being human and being alive. And that's compared to how it's been so long in society. And I am all for that. And I think everyone should be all for that because sex is part of being human. Not just that, I think it's one of the most beautiful aspects of being human. What I see is a lot of people uh, using, quote unquote, sex positivity as a shield to hide behind and defend kinks or, or you know, sexual attraction that are harmful, harmful or exploit other people. And that's where I think that line is drawn. When they put their own sexual desires above the well-being and above Uh, well-being of other people and above empathy that's when i have a problem with it and that's when i think the collective should have a problem with it because that's when it causes pain and that's when it destroys the sexuality of someone else and that is a big problem that's not being sex positive that's being selfishly sex negative
0: at what point do you think that um because sex is a mutual thing for both sides Mm -hmm. so at what point someone will have to give in their sexual preference to please the other person because it's going to be very hard to find. I'm a, I, I think it has to be hard to find a sexual partner that completely satisfies you and has exactly the same sexual fantasies or kinks that you do. Mm-hmm. So at some point, someone right might have to give in to the other person's sexual desires. There has to be some kind of compromise at some point.
1: Right. So are you asking where's the healthy point or should you compromise or that's actually okay, that's a great question. I think a lot of it comes down to first having to understand your own relationship with sexuality yourself, what you actually really like and how and making sure you're attuned to when you're not comfortable and when you don't want to do something. And no one is saying, don't explore. No one is saying you shouldn't want to please your partner because part of having a healthy sexual relationship is mutual pleasure, mutual pleasing and exploring different things. Um, But but if a partner brings up a kink or something they want to do and you don't want to do it, you feel discomfort in your gut, it doesn't turn you on, you're not open to exploring it, I think, and many other coaches, therapists, counselors, etc., would agree that you are betraying yourself in the long run um, by doing something that is turning your body physically off, is churning your stomach, is causing you to be not comfortable. And I think that should be communicated to your partner, hey, I, I know that this is your kink. It's, I'm really not comfortable with it. Um, and you need to express that. And I think every time you repeatedly take part in an act you truly don't want to do and you're uncomfortable with, your sexuality dies a little, and you end up building a very bad relationship with sex. And that's what you see with a lot of people who kind of disassociate or only have sex to please. They stop liking sex and sexuality. Um, so I think that needs to be communicated, and the other person has to decide for themselves, okay, can I live without sex? having this sexual want gratified, or should I move on? And the easiest way to handle this is, of course, compatibility. Finding someone as compatible with you as possible um, because you truly cannot push your kinks on someone. That is a type of violation and assault in its own way. If you pressure, if you blackmail, if you really, really, really try to force your partner to do something they don't want to do, that's, you know, that's that's not consent. I have a, I have a quick
2: question sorry like how do i know uh, as a woman uh, that it's not just my insecurity or just my self judgment that is you know coming into play when it comes to trying new things and it's just because i'm scared but like when i actually try it with my partner i will maybe enjoy it like how how do i make the difference bec- between okay this is just a little bit scary for me and this is not for me.
1: Is there a way for us to know that? That's a very great question. Uh, Two things, actually more often than not, you see women's insecurities doing the opposite. The effect that ends up happening on women is their insecurities are more prone to give them weak boundaries and to give them people-pleasing tendencies. So they're actually more likely than not to go along with whatever their partner might suggest because they feel they're less worthy for love Um, and their insecurities make them a bit shaky when it comes to saying I don't want to do this, I don't not want to do this um, un- unless it comes to things like trying different positions because that's where women's insecurities when it comes to bodies which you see you know really affecting women in the bedroom these days that's where it will play, that kind of an insecurity so I just wanted to make that differentiation of course you cannot fully generalize, there are different exceptions, there are also some women who might grow up in a very sexually closed society so they might be less open to trying things because of that, but just wanted to call out more often than not insecurities will actually make it hard for a woman to not to not do different things because they're too scared to put boundaries with men because they'll think that'll drive them away what I also want to say is okay so how as a woman with all this different conditioning from religions and from men and from porn and from the media and from magazines how do we actually know what we sexually want the best way is to look internally and to disconnect to disconnect from the voices of the external from past partners current partners I really recommend if possible take a break from dating try being celibate for a little while and just discover yourself when you cut off the voices of other people other people's wants especially if you have people pleasing tendencies and low self-esteem what do you really want and to really understand that once you make all those energetic cuts you have to look at your traumas traumas feed low self-esteem feed limiting beliefs feed the fake stories we tell ourselves but also feed our behavior in the bedroom This cannot happen. You cannot really be in tune with your sexuality and and pleasure without really addressing your traumas first.
0: Would you say, um, and this might be a little bit of a stretch, would you say that maybe this person is not ready to be in a relationship to begin with?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So I, I I hate using words like never and being so hard, but I would definitely say if someone is dealing with all of these issues, unprocessed trauma, low self-esteem, low self-worth, not being able to set boundaries properly, it is so much harder to be in a healthy relationship and to discover yourself sexually without being traumatized by sex, because you are so disconnected. And in a sense, it is much easier to do that healing on your own, unless you truly have a partner who is with you on that journey. But you cannot expect your partner to be your therapist or your counselor, Um, so I'm not saying you need to break up with your partner, of course, if you're dating someone, but yes, this journey would be, is easier in a sense, single, um, if you have bound boundaries and bad understanding of yourself and you're probably, you probably should not be dating or engaging sexually with other people until you heal yourself first.
0: Um, let's, I'm trying to imagine, let's say a situation when someone who is afraid of sex, because I think that happens quite often, too. And, but what would be like a good point of reference for them? to, like, Is it just a matter of finding the right person? Is, is that all it comes down to?
1: And could you define that a little for me? So afraid of sex because they have a trauma, or afraid of sex because they've never had sex, or afraid of sex because they come from a society that's closed?
0: That's a good distinction. Let's start with somebody who is someone who just never had sex.
1: Okay, so someone who's never had sex, what should their approach be to sex? hmm their, their approach should first be, if they haven't had sex, to understand if they have any limiting beliefs or stories about sex that might come from their upbringing or that might come from their society and community. And oftentimes, at the beginning of all of our sexual journeys, we all did. And that, and when you do, then you bring a lot of guilt and shame into sex, so if, you know, starting my own journey myself, uh, I wish someone had told me, look at that first. So you don't bring all of that guilt and shame with you as you start to explore yourself sexually. The second thing I would say is, of course, start to explore yourself sexually if, if it feels safe. For some people, that actually feels less safe than exploring with a partner. But th- so that ties to the other thing of t- stay in tune with your body. That's the biggest thing is when people start exploring sexually, they are not in tune with their body, but if you are in tune with it, then you can stop yourself from experiencing anything that might feel traumatic Um, And I would also say take it slow just to make sure you're comfortable with everything. And, of course, before exploring with someone else, make sure you're okay with saying no. That's a big mistake a lot of people have before going into sex. And oftentimes that fuels the fear of going into sex. Because if there's fear, there's A, fear of the unknown, but B, there's a fear that they're not able to keep themselves safe. So they have to take it slow and show and prove to themselves that, yes, they can keep themselves safe, and this is a safe and beautiful thing.
0: You know and just just to give a stupid story with <laughs> in this topic when I was discovering sex and I was I had a hard time verbalizing things that mm-hmm. hey I think this is wrong oh I think we should do it that I was like because I oops I did some mistake I was so worried on saying all these things because obviously I wasn't ready mm-hmm. so I remember like you know I remember like little things like that that I wish I had the you know, I, the courage to say simple things like, you know what, I'm gonna wash my hands. You know, <laughs> <It was> something <laughs> dumb like that. Like, I couldn't say that because I thought it was embarrassing. But now I say, I'm gonna wash my hands, Uh, I'll be right back. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yeah, (laughs) that's hilarious. You know what I hear a lot of women tell me, they wish they knew, and uh, is they wish they knew that it was okay to say no, which is where I got that pointer from, from that dialogue with women. A lot of women, I think also because moms don't have conversations with their daughters enough um, about sex and sexuality, But they should if they really want to protect their daughter from feeling traumatized or objectified or disassociating during sex. That's the place to start, because traumas start little ones start building up right from the beginning when women aren't ready before. Yeah, I I so rely on what you said or
2: on like the, the story with women when you discover like sexuality and you are like, okay, I don't want to say anything because I want him to still love me. And Mm -hmm. I'm afraid that if I say I'm not enjoying it, Mm -hmm. the way you do it, Mm -hmm. it's going to attack his ego and his feelings. Mm -hmm. So I'd Mm -hmm. rather not to say anything and just like, you know, be nice. Mm -hmm. And like, I wish I knew that before, because even up to recently, I was like afraid of saying things Mm -hmm. because I wanted him to still love me after that. So,
1: Mm -hmm. oh, yeah, you see, Eric, uh, it really is all women will agree. And I think a lot of men don't realize how m- almost all women's sexual path is traumatizing. And that's why we have this epidemic of women not wanting to have sex or not enjoying sex or this lie that women like sex less than men. Naturally, women are more sexual. Um, and, and it's just because we, this, this path of being people-pleasing to men, I should say male-pleasing, and most women will continue this pattern way even up until their 40s plus. It is so common. And what happens? Well, when a woman's not enjoying sex, she's not as wet. Sex becomes painful, right? Mm -hmm. And so she starts to associate it with pain, A. B, or even if her body does, and sorry to speak vulgarly, even if her body does, you know, um, moisten, um, and it's not as painful, but the fact that she's betraying herself starts to create very negative connotation. And she thinks that's normal, right? That it, and then you have a culture where sexuality is only about pleasing men, and and for you to be desirable, you stay quiet. And n- most women in all cultures, in every, even the most Western civilized, quote unquote civilized, uh, quote unquote advanced cultures, still feel this. And that's what a lot of men don't realize.
0: What would be then the advice you would give to these kind of men? Or is there no salvation?
1: (laughs) No, don't worry. There is salvation. There is salvation. I really, really believe it. And I'm seeing it in a lot of amazing men. The first advice I would give is read my book to my second love. (laughs) Just kidding. Only half kidding. I mean, I'm half kidding because I partly wrote it because I wanted... Uh, I, want, I had seen how there was this disconnect, and I think a lot of men, when you open up this conversation with them, again, they put up a wall of defensiveness because they fear that you're attacking their sexuality, that you're attacking their enjoyment of sex, them as a sexual partner, their whatever, and they just put up a wall, but it's so not about that. I think they have to feel it from the first-hand perspective, all of these factors that women go through um, without taking it personally. Um, and the men who are empathetic the men who are empathetic, they will listen. They will care. They will change. They will want to understand, want to try, and want to make the woman feel comfortable. Now, the men who are not, uh, they will be defensive. They might debate more or less from wanting to understand, more to protect Um, their own sexual pleasure without having to give as much, without having to listen, without having to compromise. But what are you asking to compromise on? You're literally asking someone to make a person feel safe when they're in the most vulnerable and intimate moment. So if you're dealing with men like this, that is a toxic man and I'm not saying all men are toxic. Absolutely not. But that is a toxic man. And as women, we should stop making excuses. Stop making excuses, damn it. Stop ignoring red flags. I call it toxic empathy, where you literally let empathy be get to the point where it's toxic to you and to people around you. And if you're dealing with a man like this, save your sexuality, save yourself, and walk out the door. And what
0: about for the women, Petra? Is, are there any tools and resources that we can provide them if there are like in this and uh, like if they're questioning am i in a toxic relationship am i a sexual prisoner
1: great question and i will say one thing it's so easy if you're wondering if you're in a toxic relationship then you are certainly not not in a toxic relationship what I mean by oh, that is good. if you even have to if you even have to question that that's an indication right off the bat um, well the biggest tool that you can give to help yourself and save yourself is to work on yourself work on yourself get a coach start you know start looking at your traumas start examining the aspects of you that you've been avoiding start understanding where they come from and that might be easier to do alone than not alone um, and in terms of resources external to that, if you want to help understand your sexuality more, or understand this kind of toxic sex culture and how it might impact you, I recommend um, resources like Female Dating Strategy, which is the community of women online, um, intended to protect women in the dating process. I recommend um, Exodus Cry, Collective Shout, or Fight the New Drug, that talks, these are three organizations, nonprofit organizations, that talk about how sexuality is getting impacted. Um, I recommend looking at the work of a researcher called Gail Dine she focuses a lot on female sexuality and lastly there's a book called come as you are which is so great about understanding female sexuality but the biggest tool is shining awareness on where of all of this right and secondly working on yourself
2: amazing exactly
1: what we've been talking over the last few episodes actually
2: again we're coming back to self-awareness and know yourself better so it's great advice yeah. thank you
1: know yourself without the interference of others mm. and without the want to people please last thing i will say is just because you had a thought doesn't mean the thought came from you and the more you you x out the external the more you start to differentiate did that thought come from me or from not or not from me mm.
0: that's high level self-awareness yeah. i love it
1: <laughs> <laughs> you're welcome glad you do
0: well Thank you, you know, thank you for coming Petra and thanks everyone for listening so be sure to check out Petra's book To My Second Love available internationally on Amazon and if you want to work with Petra or follow her check out her Instagram at Heal by Petra. as always if you have any questions or opinions you'd like to share send us an email at asaivupodcast at gmail.com thank you everybody
2: thank you Beatrix. thank you thank you Bye. guys
0: Bye. ciao ciao